If you're enjoying these podcasts and are interested in learning how to build an AI startup or pilot an AI product within your organization, I have created a six-step framework and a process guide. The framework will help you avoid the costly mistakes and the process lays out how to go from learning the fundamentals to piloting the product week by week. If it interests you, it's available on our website for free. My hope is that it will help you start off on the right foot. We want to build a constellation as a service business. So we are an artificial intelligence company, but we've got these build, launch, deploy capabilities. Chad and Mike Johnson have come on and they've got these commercial resupply agreements where we can take satellites and send them up to the International Space Station. And we've got a deployer that fits inside the airlock of this thing. And it'll take satellites up to a higher altitude, up to 475, 500 kilometers above the surface and, and deploy them. So we've got these, these crazy capabilities that it, it's an unfair advantage for an artificial intelligence company, honestly, because it, it's a pathway, it's a reliable pathway kind of up to space. Hey everyone, welcome to Brains Behind AI, show where we meet the innovators, entrepreneurs, and the real brains behind some of the most successful AI startups. We ask them about their journey from coming up with the idea to finding the product market fit. And from their experience, draw a set of principles that we can take away to ours. This is your host, Ari. Thank you for spending time with us. And now, let the show begin. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us today Gary Gaddis, the CEO of Hypergine Galactic Systems. They build, launch, and deploy AI-powered satellites into LEO, then operate them using their next-generation intelligent ground control, and utilize space drive data to provide actionable information for critical decision support. Previously, Gary co-founded and served as the CEO of Spacetime Studios. Spacetime Studios designed and developed world's first cross-platform 3D mobile massive multiplayer online game, Pocket Legends. The subsequent legend titles have since amassed over 50 million downloads. Prior to that, Gary served as a senior producer for Sony Online Entertainment and co-founder of Human Code, which was acquired by Sapient. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ari. It's great to be here. Gary, before we start and before we go into Galactic Systems, can you take a minute to tell us about your entrepreneurial journey from Human Code to where you are today? and how your background prepared you for it? So I graduated from the University of Texas with a degree in sculpture and a minor in computer science. So I started doing creative things in school and really learned how to work with creative folks. And their creative folks are always interesting people to work with. Uh, so at Human Code, I had the good fortune to come on early and run their software division. And I started out programming and designing and building titles for Discovery Channel and Cartoon History of the Universe type stuff, early edutainment, CD-ROM, back in the CD-ROM days. From Human Code, I left to work at a company called Digital Anvil as a on the production side of things, building more video games. And then I went to Sony Online Entertainment and worked with the team to build and run Star Wars Galaxies. It was Star Wars Galaxies was a wonderful, massive multiplayer online game the likes of which has never been seen since. Uh, very, very fond of those days. It was there that I met my partners. So I, I kind of specialized in production. 
one partner specialized in design, one was technology and one was art. And the four of us left and started Spacetime Studios back in 2005. So Spacetime Studios was funded by NCSoft, a large Korean publisher. We were supposed to build a World of Warcraft killer, which is what everybody was trying to do back in the day. And our deal was we would own tools and tech and they would own intellectual property. And so we set out to, of course, build some pretty incredible tools and tech. A couple of years into the project, it got canceled, which was soul crushing. Uh, It happens all the time in the video game industry. I've read a statistic, maybe 70, 75% of all games that are started don't make, don't make it. So we pivoted then to the iPhone. This was back in 2009. We were all playing on our phones, but nobody was really playing together. So we took our engine and ported it over to, to iOS. And I sent an email to Steve underscore jobs at apple.com, as well as sjobs and steve.jobs and every other permutation I could think of saying, hey, we're doing this cool thing. Can you find us someone to shepherd us through the, the app store? And the next day we got an email from somebody saying, hi, we're your shepherds. Long story short, they, they brought us some prototype iPads. This was right before the iPad launched, and, and we launched a game called Pocket Legends alongside the, the iPad. That was very exciting, really well received, and we subsequently got a lot of interest from some investors. We took some money from Insight Venture Partners, some, some great guys up in New York, and yeah, set out to change the world. As it turns out, it's very hard to change the world. And we didn't really do it. We, we had a bunch of other games that launched, but, but we never really broke out. And so you know, fast forward eight years or so, and I had been at Spacetime for 13 years of my life and really felt like I was kind of stagnating in my career and wasn't really learning anything. And so I decided to, to not just change jobs, but to change industries. And the way that I did that was I, I made a list of 100 people friends, family, loved ones, people that I knew and respected here in Austin, and started to go out to lunch or coffee with them and ask them, what's the coolest thing that's going on in the world? And if you weren't doing what you were doing, what would you be doing? And really what I was trying to figure out was, what's out there? I had been heads down in, in video games for, for my entire career and, and certainly focused on kind of mobile for the, the previous five to 10. And I didn't really know anything else that was going on. And man, so many things are, are going on. It was, it was an amazing process for me. It, it really took about six months to work my way through the list. I think I got through 85 or so before I kind of found my next gig. But one of the people on that list was a guy named Ben Lamb. So Ben is CEO of my parent company, Hypergiant Industries. And he's uh, a visionary and entrepreneur. Uh, you know, he's really done some, some amazing things in his life. And, and he had decided to build an artificial intelligence industrial complex. And, and this, that's kind of what his latest effort was. And, and my question to him was, what's the coolest thing going on? And his answer was, it's space. And, it, and it's, it's the commercialization of space. And it's aspirational for all mankind. And it's a unifying kind of thing. And I got, I got super excited about it and agreed. Then he went on to say, but you make games. You're good at making games. Are, you should keep making games. I've got an idea for a game for you. And I'm like, I don't want to make games, but okay, what's your idea? Uh, and his idea was to go make audio games, audio games for Google or Alexa. And he was right about the market. So the market was growing 50% year over year. Those smart speakers are going to be ubiquitous everywhere. But I really couldn't figure out how to, how to monetize. One of the challenges that I had with, with gaming was all the moving to free-to-play microtransactional monetization models was really trying to trick people into spending money, kind of. And I didn't like that. And, and monetization on audio smart speakers seems like it's kind of following that same trend. So I decided to, to not do that. And I, you know, I, I went to Ben, 
about a year and a half ago and said, thanks, but I'm going to pass. And some kind of bit flipped in his head. And he's like, well, don't do anything else. We might want you here. Here, go talk to all these people. And so I kind of whirlwind through uh, the other founders and leads at, at, at Hypergiant. And they hired me on as a general manager in residence, which to me meant don't screw anything up. So it, it really was just kind of a parking job, right? They, they didn't have something for me, but they, I, you know, I think they knew they wanted somebody with my skill set uh, at some point in time. So I, Hypergiant Industries, their business model is to build a bunch of subsidiaries underneath them. And so, and they need people to, to lead those subsidiaries. So as GM in residence, I'm kind of operationally what's going on and making a bunch of suggestions. And, and as it turns out, it's, it's tough to change an organization, uh, you know, that's, that's 150 people. So I found myself stepping on some toes and, and really wasn't very happy doing that. And so I went to Ben and said, you know, thanks, thanks again, but, but no thanks. And he's like, well, wait, we're starting this ventures group. Uh, why don't you be a managing partner on the venture side? And then you can do these startups and you can do them how you want to do it. And then we'll just hire people to operate them. And so I thought that was awesome because I get to learn about all these different types of industries, right? I'd learn about smart cities and energy and cybersecurity and, and, and whatnot. And so kind of set off to do that. And one of the entities that I was shepherding at the time was the Galactic Group. So they, they had this entity called Hypergiant Galactic Systems. It was founded by Ben and a guy named Chad Brinkley. Chad is aerospace entrepreneur, and he's got a, a build, launch, deploy company called Seops that, uh, that we had invested in. And, and so I started to get very close with this group. It was super engaging work. And at some point in time, they invited me to be CEO of it. So although I was kind of turning my back on the learning about a bunch of new things opportunity, I was really opening a door into learning about space and, and, and doing stuff in, in, in space. And you know, as, as, a, as a kid, I loved science fiction so much. And it, you know, even back at the Human Code days, Human Code was an industrial design firm before they were a multimedia firm, and they were designing things for NASA. So I, I worked on like a CD-ROM for, for a Martian habitat with them. And, and you know, my, my, my imagination has always just been really fired up by, by space. And so to get an opportunity to work in that industry was, was really a no-brainer. That's kind of how I ended up doing what I'm doing. That's quite a story and a giant leap going from video games and mobile devices and applications to space. How is that transition in, and I've noticed in your background, you have been co-founder, not just at Human Code, but also Space Time Studios, and, and now as a CEO of Hypergiant. What would you say, what are some of the skills and what are some of the learnings that have helped you make that progression from one interesting project or engagement or venture to the next one to, to slowly finding something so exciting? as space, right? Yeah. What are some of the skills you would say that really helped and enabled you? Along my journey of discernment, as I call it, during that period of time where I was talking to a bunch of different people, one of the things that happened was it really helped me understand more about who I was and what my skill sets were. It's interesting because it came through other people's lenses, right? It's a, it's a vulnerable time in your life, anytime you're looking for a job or, or trying to, to make a big change. And so it's an ask to go to these people and, you know, educate me and implied, is there anything, anybody else that you know that I, that I should talk to? And, and so slowly out of that, I would, I would hear people 
talk back to me and about me. These were these were people that I knew my entire life, and so I've worked in production my whole life. And really, that's you know that's kind of organizing and figuring out details and leading teams. But I didn't really have the words for that, and out of it kind of came its operations and, and management. And and so you know, if you look at my LinkedIn, that's at the headline now. That 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 is what I do. So I come to realize that I that I'm I'm very good at operations and I'm very good at, at management. And I think the operations part is is just because of I'm a curious person. I'm very detail oriented and I like to take things apart and I like to understand start to finish how things how things work. I can't always get them back together again, but you know, I, I want to know what's under the hood, and I'm curious enough to ask a bunch of questions until I at least get a layman's understanding of things. And then when you when you start to apply that across a bunch of different disciplines and communicate with everybody else about it, then it gives a bigger holistic kind of understanding to the team. So that's that's kind of on the operation side. On the management side of things, it's about people. You know, it's it's about caring for people. And that comes out of out of a desire to to make positive impact in the universe. I believe that you know everybody wants to do their best, everybody is good at heart. And so I just I try to to channel that with with people and and, and you know space time was really where the philosophy started of of family first. And so my my philosophy for the team is you have to be whole at home for you to be effective at work. And so if there's ever anything that you, that you need to do to get your life straight, that is your that's your priority. And the, and the team will always cover you for that. And that's how we operate and that's how we operate at, at Galactic as well. And I think as a result, everybody is engaged, everybody is is committed, and everybody knows that you've got their their best interest at heart. So that's really kind of the skill sets that I think that I possess and, and the the underlying philosophies for them. That's powerful. I'm going to take one quick detour and then I'll come to Galactic Systems. I noticed in your LinkedIn profile that when you went to UT Austin, you created your own curriculum that was made up of computer science, graphic design, and sculpture. So two things jumped out. One, you created your own curriculum. Two, I see a combination of both left brain and the right brain side coming together in your major. So, so do you have any comments on that, and and how did you select that? I started out computer science, so I, I I've always had an affinity for for computers. I had a Apple II right out of the garage in high school. was was making games in high school. So when I got to UT, I'm like, oh, computer science, that'll be a no brainer. Well, as it turns out, it's a it's a big brainer, uh, and and UT was was quite the washout school for for computer science. And so I pretty quickly got overwhelmed on the CS side of things. And so I moved over to the School of Business and did you know, data processing and, and whatnot. Didn't really like business very much, but I'd always been, I'd always had logic and mathematics as, as kind of this, the stress and focus in my life. And I was waiting tables at the good old spaghetti warehouse in college and had a buddy that was in the School of Art. And he's like, hey man, you should, you should try this. And I did, and I loved it. I had never had encouragement to be creative in my life. and it was so wonderful. It was a process that I'd never really been through formally before. And I just, I completely ate it up. And so I knew I was good at computers and I knew I was interested in expressing creativity. And this was, this was when, you know, computer games were kind of starting, right? It's back at the Ultima days and, and Wing Commander days. I thought that I would 
I'd want to apply myself to to that. And there were no programs for that back then. There's no computer game program, no no video art programs. And so I went to the dean at the School of Fine Arts and kind of expressed my conundrum. And and he was very gracious. And it's like, look, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do a specific curriculum. You just need the right hours and accredited to the right kind of departments to graduate. So why don't you go talk to the School of Communications? They've got a really awesome computer graphics lab. And then you know, why don't you start to take some of the stuff here and you know go back to CS and kind of polish up some of those other kind of things. And so I was I was really fortunate to be able to to piece it together. I will say I took my time. I think I graduated in like maybe five and a half or five, maybe six years or so. And so I I am so grateful for my father for having a tremendous amount of patience with me because you know I'd gone from computer science to sculpture and he's like, oh, what are you gonna do with this, son? Like I, I don't know yet, Dad, but but we'll figure it out. And I really thought that I was going to be, I thought I was going to be a computer artist. I thought that that was going to be my forte. And it turns out I was not the greatest artist, uh, you know, and, and there's much, much more talented artists than, than I am. And, and when I started at Human Code, I was programming and, and designing, but it turns out there's a lot more talented programmers and designers as well. And that's kind of when I discovered my, my production skill set, I guess, because I, I understood these, I understood the talents, I understood the people. I also understood that they were better than me at doing these things. I kind of became a force multiplier for them in, in putting everything together. Yep. And I completely second that because what I've seen is real innovation happens or exciting things happen when you mix fields that are usually not seen together. And then that, that totally explains. So now jumping into galactic systems, what do you do, right? And space is huge, and it's always a multi-company effort, multiple companies coming together, doing a very specialized piece. What is the role Galactic Systems playing in the space, and what are you building, and what is the story there? So, I mean, talking about diverse teams, our, our team is probably 40% old-school aerospace individuals, and I'm talking like the guy that built ground control for Johnson in Houston and the guy and he built ground control for Chandra Space Observatory and our CTO was CTO of NanoRacks and he's done a huge amount of science up on the ISS and my partner it's a, a lifetime aerospace entrepreneur so we've got a lot of guys that have been doing space their whole life and then the other 60% is these disruptive artificial intelligence, video game developers. It's kind of the new guard. So I've got kind of this old guard and the new guard all working together. And it is such an exciting mix of people because we all bring absolutely different things to the table and merge them to do some really new, innovative and disruptive stuff in an industry that, that is tough to disrupt in. So we've got kind of three things going on right now at HGS. The first is we want to build a constellation as a service business. So we are an artificial intelligence company, but we've got these build, launch, deploy capabilities. Chad and Mike Johnson have come on and they've got these commercial resupply agreements where we can take satellites and send them up to the International Space Station and they'll stay there for a little while. And then Northrop Grumman has a Cygnus vessel that they use to bring astronauts cookies and stuff and it bolts onto the ISS and when it's done we've got a deployer that fits inside the airlock of this thing and it'll take satellites up to a higher altitude up to 475 500 kilometers above the surface and and deploy them 
So we've got these, these crazy capabilities that it, it's an unfair advantage for an artificial intelligence company, honestly, because it, it's a pathway, it's a reliable pathway kind of up to space. So like you were saying, it's typically a bunch of different companies that do a bunch of different things. But the satellite lifecycle is you know, build, license, launch, deploy, operate, and then these things eventually fall out of the sky and, and replenish. And as we're moving to more and more constellations up in space, we think that kind of housing this all under one roof is going to give us some real price advantages for folks. And then applying artificial intelligence across the board to it as well. So first is kind of a, is a hardware, hardware-focused effort. And we're, we're working on something for the Air Force right now that I can talk about a little bit if you're interested in it. Second is ground control. So you know, while we are figuring out kind of what our business model is and starting to look at the different tools, we took a look at ground control. And man, ground control hasn't changed very much in the last 20, 30 years or so, right? It, it is, it's walls of mnemonic text, sometimes color-coded. These guys have 10 tabs open, three computers moving back and forth between them. And as software guys, we're taking a look at that going, I bet we can improve upon that. You know, in the last 10 years, especially in the fields that I've come from, there's been vast advancements in UI UX and the way that information is aggregated, presented, utilized, actionable information is given to the users. And so we've decided to build a product that sits on top of kind of existing flight proven software that takes a hard cut at kind of the user experience of it, but also applies artificial intelligence and machine learning to it to augment the human in the loop. And so an, an example of some of the things that we're doing, satellites need to be tasked. There's a long and involved process for telling a satellite what to do. And you, you have to wait for kind of ground station, you have to wait for it to pass over ground station to do so. And so there's, there's a lot of lag kind of in between your, your opportunities. So we are taking, we're scraping social media and looking for spikes in particular terms say, you know, earthquake or COVID or, uh, you know, social distance or something like that. And, and when we get spikes in that, we can determine that something interesting is happening in a particular region. And then we can predictably task the satellite to go and see what's going on there. And what that does is usually right now, the way that it works is an analyst will wake up in the morning and they'll look at the news and they'll look at their Twitter feed and they'll go, oh, something interesting is happening there. Call up the operator. Hey, we're going to want to schedule some time to go and look at this thing, operator has to do the scheduling, figure it out, then do the whole tasking. And, and so we think that we can be there 12, 24, 48 hours ahead of systems that have a, a human in the loop. Hive is the, kind of the second thing that we are focused on. That's a, that's a heavy software focused effort. There's a bunch of other stuff. You ask what are the challenges in my job? It's focus. I think there's so much opportunity out there. I really have to strive to maintain focus on these things just to to move them forward. And how are you prioritizing it? This and all of it sounds so interesting. What determinants are you using to define what moves next? And is it the innovation that's transformational or is it where the business and commercial needs are? Well, so businesses are in business to make money. And so my first priority is the things that make me money. That was the first of the three. That's, that's our Constellation as a Service business. And we've got a contract with the, the Air Force, as mentioned, to, to put some stuff into space for them. And so you know, I, I expressed to the team, this is a ball that cannot drop. This is, we, we absolutely have to be on top of this. We went out to visit Space Force 
the Space Force in January, which was a trip. All right. So quick sidebar. My boss has a relationship with the chief transformation officer of the uh, of the Air Force, and, and she had set up a meeting with Space Force for us to kind of brief them on, on artificial intelligence. We sent some promotional materials, and the meeting kept growing and growing and growing until there's like five generals in the meeting and all of their retinue. And so we show up, and we're just, we're dudes, right? We're, we're two kind of software guys to a large degree and pretty nerdy too. And uh, fortunately, we'd gotten tipped that dress formal. So we get out there and uh, it's on Peterson Air Force Base, huge gleaming stainless steel building with satellites and stuff hanging inside and rocket parts. And it's all, it's just a bustle of military activity. It's, it's Air Force and Space Force and everybody's in uniform, even, you know, up to the generals, they've got their fatigues on, but they've got, um, you know, they've got stars on the, on the collars. And it's us walking around in our suits uh, with the badges. So, you know, it was clearly we didn't really belong there. It was a fascinating meeting, man. So we sat down and started talking with these guys. We only had an hour and we brought a bunch of ideas, a bunch of what if kind of things. And, you know, we started prefacing a lot of the stuff with, well, this is kind of crazy. And they're like, that's not crazy. That is not crazy at all. You know, we're thinking about that. And so they are really a forward thinking operation. And it's, it's, it's pretty impressive what they've been able to to put together in, in, in such a short time. And that's actually where our contract with the Air Force came out of, was that whole set of meetings. So that was a good time. That sounds exciting. It almost sounds like a scene out of a movie. It was nuts. And you're doing some amazing work. Where is your team based out of? Are you mostly in Austin, Texas? And how are you finding talent? And are you finding talent? Are you running into some competitiveness given you're doing AI, you're doing cutting edge work? So our, our team is fairly distributed. I'd, I'd say the hub is here in Austin. We've got an, another enclave down in Houston. That's where our, kind of our flight operations is, is centered and, uh, and some, of the, some of the hardware side of things. But we've got, we've got folks all over. And that actually really served us well when everything went on lockdown because we were used to running remote and you know, having daily stand-ups on Zoom and, and communicating with all the different kind of kind of tool sets that you'd use to run remotely. As far as recruitment goes, so we are we're we're very fortunate to be a a sister company to another group in Hypergiant, which is Space Age Solutions. Space Age Solutions is a service group and they've got a huge bunch of talented folks, programmers, designers, developers, artists, project managers, QA, you know, your 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 typical kind of group of folks that you see in a service organization. And so we're able to, to recruit from them and utilize uh, you know, whatever resources there are on the bench. And that's, that's where a lot of our, our folks have come from. I've tapped a few folks that I've worked with in the past also to come on board. And so uh, you know, I've, I've got the great pleasure of, of working with some folks that I've had success with in the past. And then as far as the recruitment part goes, it's not hard. You know, it's, it's, space is... Like Ben said, it's an aspirational industry, and you know when I when I start talking about the things that we're doing, we're we're really trying to advance humanity's position in the universe, and that's a that's a fun mission for folks. And so, you know, I'm trying to bring in top level talent from a bunch of different areas, and they don't have to be aerospace. For me, operations and management and, and artificial intelligence, it's the same skill set as as video games to a large 
large degree. And interface design is the same skill set as, as video games. And, it, and it's actually, it's putting all these type, different types of people together that I think gives us such a unique team and a, a pretty unique advantage in the, in the marketplace as well. So we've been, we've been very fortunate to have a great pool of individuals to, uh, to, to choose from and, and assemble our team. On the similar note, what is your advice to someone who's listening to this with excitement and wondering what it would take to be at the center of both AI and space? And it's just uh, such an exciting space to be in. How, where do they start? How can they prepare themselves so they can come work for you or they can do exciting work as, as you're doing? I learned during, you know, during my 100 lunches period that it's possible to find the ideal job. My intent to the universe and the subtext in my questions were, I want to find the coolest thing in the world to work on. And, and man, the, the, you know, the universe answered. I would tell people, follow your dreams to, to a large degree. If you don't love your job, then it's going to suck at some point in, in time. And, and so you really should try to find something that you love. And it's, it's worth putting the effort into it. I look for people that are passionate, that are talented, that, that work well with others. Like I said, they don't have to have aerospace experience if they're a data scientist. You know, they just need to be a, a great data scientist. And passion is certainly something that I look for. Team-oriented is something that I look for. Work is, it's done with a team. And, and it, it's just a bunch of different people really trying hard to do things that, that haven't been done before. And so you need to be collaborative. You need to be cooperative. You know, we, we really try to read, weed out the jerks. There's, no, there's, there's absolutely no place for, for somebody, no matter how talented they are, if they are not nice or nice to work with, right? Because, because we do have to work with everybody in really close, in close, well, not literal proximity, but, but you know, we're, we're together all the time. I'm with, with the same guys on different phone calls for eight hours a day to a large, to a large degree, and we all are. So, you know, I guess my advice to people would be, one, follow your passion, follow your heart, and really kind of put the, put the work into it that is required to, to broaden your horizons. And it's, it's don't be limited by you know, what you think your limitations are, because there are no limitations you know, as, as far as what you can do in a professional environment. I got to go see a rocket launch, my first rocket launch last year at Wallops Island. And it was a Northrop Grumman Antares rocket and I got to take my, my 16-year-old there. And we got to hang out with a bunch of folks from NASA. And I think the realization for him was, oh, these are just, these are all regular folks. They're doing stuff for NASA, which is a super cool thing to do for, but these are all regular, regular kind of, kind of people. You know, they need social media folks and they need, you know, PR folks and they need project management folks. And so whatever skill set you've got, I guarantee whatever industry you want to go in, there's a slot for you in that industry. That's a great advice. And I'm, I'm looking at the clock and it looks like we're almost at time here. Gary, thank you for taking the time. Much appreciated. It was very, very exciting. I personally enjoyed listening to your experiences and hopefully it's beneficial for the audience and the listeners here. But before we let you go, can you share where our audience can find you if they want to reach out to you or if they want to learn more about Hypergiant Galactic Systems, where can they find you? So if you go to um, hypergiant.com, that's 
H-Y-P-E-R-G-I-A-N-T.com. You'll land on our website. Now, be aware, we're a very brand-forward company, so it's a pretty expansive and expressive website. Over on the right, there's Divisions. Pull down to Division 0004, and that's Hypergiant Galactic Systems. So that's, that's where you can find out more about the company. If you're interested in connecting to me, just go find me on, on LinkedIn. It's Gary Gaddis, G-A-R-Y-G-A-T-T-I-S, and send a connection request. I'm, I'm happy to, to connect and, and do whatever I can for, for folks. That's great, and we'll link that in our show notes as well. Great. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for your time. All right, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, and, and best of luck with the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. If you like what you heard and are interested in more, visit us online at brainedbehind.ai and sign up for my monthly AI startup tracker. That's where I cut through the noise and bring you AI startups that are making tangible progress. Till next time, go out, be the brains behind AI.